It's the Forage Connection, raising, growing, and feed, with your hosts, Ben and Sarah. Today, we're diving into all things round bales. Today, we have really the local expert in hay and, and forage storage, I would say, Dr. Kevin Shinners. He's with the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Shinners is an ag engineer. He's currently a emeritus professor, and he has spent much of his career focusing on the mechanical aspects of hay forage and biomass crops. I have heard Dr. Shinner speak several times and he does an excellent job of breaking down what we do and why we should or shouldn't do some of these practices. So I'm excited to talk with him today. I I think we're uh, really glad Dr. Shinner's you were willing to come with your emeritus status being retired, willing to come and talk with us. So welcome. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Ben. This morning, We want to talk about round bale storage in general, but the big question as we get started is how does baling affect storage? There's so many different aspects of how to put up a good round bale, and where do we begin with this conversation, Dr. Shinners? Right, so when we uh, think about trying to have uh, good round bale storage, I, I always like to tell producers that it starts in the baling process. As soon as the baler hits the field, you need to think about some things that are going to affect the storage characteristics of those bales. Uh, One of those is the type of wrap that you're going to use on the bale, or net wrap versus twine wrap. But we'll kind of come back to that just in a second here. But I want to just mention to you that really what we're trying to do with a round bale is to help that bale shed water, precipitation uh, during an event, and get that water drained away from the bale. And really just to get that water to be shed off the bale, we have to form a good thatch. And it's the leaves of the plant that form the thatch. So in that baling process, we are going to choose either net wrap or twine wrap. And uh, when we use net wrap, we're going to be rotating that bale eh, maybe three to five times in the bale chamber uh, before we uh, have the wrapping process done and we can eject the bale. Whereas with twine wrap, eh, typically 20 to 30 rotations in the bale chamber that uh, required to get that bale wrapped tightly with twine. And unfortunately, when we wrap, when we rotate it that many times, we tend to knock off a lot of leaves. If the leaves are forming the thatch, we've started to remove the, the uh, positive aspects of those leaves being there, and we're going to have a, a thatch that's not going to be ideal. Net wrap is not only good from the standpoint of um, productivity, you can get the job done faster, uh, but you're going to be able to save more leaves uh, in the wrapping process, and that's going to help us with the thatch. Uh, when we have that bale in storage. Uh, I also like to say that what we need to do is to form a really nice dense bale with a good shape. Uh, A dense bale doesn't squat as much during the storage process and when the bale squats, the more the bottom touches the ground, we're going to have more rejected hay. So a nice well-formed dense bale will do less squatting over time and we'll have less rejected hay from that bottom of the bale. Uh, you also want to um, make a nice, what I say, a square-shouldered bale. Uh, you want to drive over the windrow in such a way that you're uh, pushing hay against the side walls of the bale chamber. That's what helps form a nice tight uh, shoulder on that bale, if you will. And, of course, you want to use the driving aids and the monitor on the baler to help you get that bale chamber filled uh, side-to-side uniformly. I've made many wedge-shaped bales. I've been made many... Uh, Barrel-shaped bales, and uh, you know, it's just one of the things you learn over time. But those are more difficult to get into a row or into a stack uh, and, and you know, form a good shape. So, you know, if you can make a really very cylindrical, square-shouldered, dense bale, 
that's going to be help, uh, helpful as well. And of course, with net wrap, um, that's becoming more and more popular. You're seeing less and less twine wrap out there. So uh, that's a, a good direction that we're heading in the business. So we are really focusing initially on making sure that we get a, a bale that's ready and, and set for storage. We're looking at that wrap correctly. We want the right density. We want the right size bale to fit our equipment and everything. Once we get that bale formed, a lot of times we're storing these round bales outside. What are we looking at from a, a loss standpoint, Dr. Shinners? What what are some characteristics? What are we looking at from that bale that we don't want to see happening? Make sure that we're having that quality hay. I'm just going to swing back to one more thing about uh, the baling process. I just want to mention to you that, you know, you, you, with a round baler, you can choose it up to the largest diameter that the baler makes, but you want to try to make as big a diameter bale as you can, because as the bale is going to weather, you're going to see, you know, a two to four inch weathered layer on the outside of the bale. You know, a six foot diameter bale that may be, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15% of the bale volume. Where a five foot diameter bale, that's maybe 15 to 25% of the bale volume. So it makes a lot of sense to make as big a bale as you can, because you're going to have less volume of that bale is going to be uh, exposed to the elements. Also, when you make a bigger, di bigger diameter bale, you're going to have fewer bales to handle. And uh, that can be very uh, helpful from the productivity standpoint. Picking bales out of the field is what I say is never a value-added uh, operation. And, you know, the fewer bales you got to, to handle, uh, the more cost-effective you're going to be in your operation. So uh, you asked about, uh, you know, the storage process here. Um, I think we will we'll talk first about um, wanting to make sure that you uh, minimize the amount of precipitation that you get on the bale. And the best way that you can do that is going to be uh, to store the bale under cover. Uh, under a tarp or in plastic film, uh, in, in a roll in pl plastic film. We're seeing more and more interest in wrapping bales with plastic film. Um, that's a successful process for dry hay if you manage it well. Uh, we have done a little bit of research on this, and it is uh, we found that uh, if you get the bale quite dry, 15, 16, 17% moisture content, it's more successful than if you have the bale at 18, 19, 20, 21% moisture content. When you have it at those little higher moisture contents, we tend to get some condensation on the outside of the bale between the interface between the bale and the, and the film. That tends to create a little bit of a mold growth there. That can be some hay that's going to be rejected. Of course, there's also the cost of that you have to consider as well. You know, if you have a relatively high quality hay, uh, wrapping in film can be uh, uh, quite cost effective. If you have a lower quality hay, it's probably not a process that's going to be economically viable. We've also done a little bit of research on the, the right color. Uh, typically, we would recommend white film over black film. Black film tends to uh, cause a little bit of, well, it, it really gets hot, especially on the west side of the bale, and that tends to uh, cause some caramelization of the hay on that outer layer. It's not very deep layer, but it's still, if you're trying to sell hay, uh, it doesn't look quite as good as uh, with white film. Again, if, if you can put the hay under cover in some way, tarping it uh, under a roof or uh, you know, wrapping in film, that's the number one thing that we can do to uh, preserve our quality of our hay with round bales. When we talk about wrapping a bale with net wrap, Dr. Shinners, 
there's a couple questions that I once in a while receive, and one is, how many wraps should I make? And of course, that's dependent on the type of hay. Um, and two is, should I shoulder the bales? Would it be better to have the wrap inside the bale or around the shoulders? Do you have any comments on that? Right. So again, when it comes down to this thatch, grass, hay, really forms a great thatch. You've got long, broad leaves that layer over each other. It looks like an Irish cottage, uh, the roof of an Irish cottage, and, and that's really good. And so you may be able to get away with a little bit less uh, wrap with a grass bale where alfalfa, those leaves don't form as good a thatch as uh, grass hay, so you might want to go with one more layer of wrap. Um, again, it all comes down to the quality of the hay that you're making in the field. If it's you know, very mature and, and not going to bring a lot of value, you might not put as many wraps on it as you would if it was a higher quality uh, hay. The right number of wraps, uh, that's really a, a, a tough one because you know, every time you go around the bale, it costs you more money to do that. So most producers are always trying to put the fewest number of wraps that hold the bale together uh, well um, and gets it into storage because it's, it's a cost. In terms of uh, going over the edge with wrap versus not, uh, uh, this is a pretty easy one for me. I like to see uh, over the edge wrap uh, going over the shoulder of the bale. Uh, it prevents uh, these little tufts of hay that stick up at the edge of the bale that, that almost form like a little bit of a, it actually kind of forms a little bit of a gutter uh, and gets some water toward that area. Not really liking that as much as uh, bales that uh, go over the edge, uh, excuse me, that wrap that goes over the edge of the bale. Uh, and there's really, you know, not a lot of cost difference there associated with that. So uh, it would be my recommendation that you use some type of wrap that goes over the edge. So once we get our bales put up to a place that we're happy they're wrapped, they're formed correctly, we need to put them in the proper place to have good storage. Again, you know, ideally we'd like to have those probably underneath some sort of roof if we could swing that, but a lot of times in, in cases we don't have that available. What things can we be doing to really decrease the amount of moisture that are getting into those bales as we store them outside, Dr. Shinners? Well, you know, storage is oftentimes a compromise for, for producers because they may be space limited. And so they'll make a choice to uh, stack bales in some fashion to reduce the amount of space that the uh, bales are taking during storage. Probably, I mean, from a space standpoint, this is the best way to do it is to stack bales. But from the standpoint of um, preserving the quality of the bale and reducing storage losses, it's probably not the best practice. So let's talk about two different ways that we can stack bales. The first one is uh, the pyramid stack. That's very common. I see a lot of pyramid stacks out there. And the other one is what I call a mushroom stack. It's one bale tipped up on end and then a round bale on a cylindrical fashion set up on top of it. Very popular in some regions, especially where they got a lot of snow blowing around. They act as kind of a, a windbreak or a snowbreak. But actually, that's one of the worst ways that you can store bales is that mushroom stack. Because water that sheds off the top bale runs down into the bottom bale. And uh, because of the orientation of the bale, that water is just going to go right down between the layers of the bale and cause a lot of spoilage. So it's, it's, the bottom bale really is going to be in very poor condition. Um, the, the top bale actually tends to be really great because it's sitting up there all by itself and, and got a lot of wind and a lot of sun. And so it turns out to be pretty darn good. Uh, it's not sitting on soil. But the bottom bale is, is really a mess when you do that. So that's one of my least favorite ways that I see bales stored. 
And, uh, you know, I see a lot of that in, in corn stover bales and, and corn stover bales, water really likes to penetrate into those layers very easily. And so you can get a, a heck of a lot of spoilage, a lot of rotting going on in a, in a bale, bottom bale that's stored in that fashion. On the pyramid stack, um, the most space friendly way to store bales. Uh, but again, when we have water coming down off the top bales, going down toward the bottom bales, um, it's just no air infiltration uh, on those bales in the middle of the stack. Uh, the sun can't get at them. So once they get wet, they stay wet for a long time and, and they tend to, um, the storage losses tend to be pretty, pretty high. Additionally, when you start to stack really high, uh, the weight of the bales tends to make the bottom ones squat down quite a bit more. And uh, you get lots of these bales kind of forming uh, flat surfaces against each other. And, and it's just, you know, there's no chance for water to run off of those bales at all. So really, if the, the best way that if you're going to store them in a scrimmage stack is to tarp the bales. Uh, I know that's a very unpleasant thing to do. I don't really like tarping at all. It's an unpleasant job. But it, if you're going to store them in a pyramid, Storage efficiency uh, from the space standpoint is good, but it'd be best if you could uh, tarp those bales, either with you know a tarp or a plastic film. I see a lot of producers in Wisconsin using uh, cut open silo bags to uh, tarp their, their bales with. It's tough when you're short on room to find a great way to keep your bales, but we did put these um, bale stacks to the test in 2019, which if you're from this southeastern South Dakota and surrounding area, you know all it did was rain that year. Not a lot of crops were planted. So we set out uh, several bales in different formations to kind of test this theory. And Dr. Shinners has research on this. I know you've done research in the past, but people really like local data. So we tried it out and we did a mushroom stack and a pyramid stack. And our Pyramid had 11 bales. It had six on the bottom and then four and, and then one on top to tie them together. And over 35% of the bottom bales was over 30% moisture. So over a third of them were over 30% moisture on the bottom. And boy, they were wet and they squatted and they did not look good. So it was really good proof for us as to why, you know, pyramid stacking, although common, if you leave them there, you're really going to get a lot of water in the gutters, like you said. And the mushroom stack, you know, that's like you said, it's very popular in windbreaks, but that is rough on that bottom bale. In that one, there was just mold and soot coming right out of that bale when you touched it of our bottom mushroom stack bale. About half of that bale was over 35% moisture. It was pretty well junked by the time we looked at it during our field day. So we knew those results would likely happen, but it was kind of interesting just to see it when we tested it out and have people walk around the stacks and understand why it's not a recommended practice. And when we talk about stacking bales, Dr. Shinners, I know I've, I've read a few of your articles on best management practices. Are there certain configurations aside from stacking um, and, and certain things we can do to, to try to minimize losses outside once the bale is made and we're going to go set it somewhere? What are things growers should be mindful of as they set bales out in certain directions or certain terrain? Right. So we've kind of talked about the things not to do pyramid stacks and, and mushroom stacks. Let's talk about the things that you should do to minimize losses. 
Um, I certainly understand the reason for stacking bales. That, like I say, farming is often a compromise, and if you don't have the space, you got to do something. But if let's say you do have the space, let's kind of walk through the, the ideals in terms of round bale storage. Uh, first thing I think you want to do is you want to put these on a slope surface so that water is going to drain away from the bales when, it, when you get precipitation. And ideally, we're going to have a, a south-facing slope if you can, so we get some sun on those bales. Uh, also, ideally, we would like to put those bales in a rows that run north-south. Problem with running bales east-west, especially in our northern uh, upper Midwest here, through much of the winter and, and fall and spring, uh, you know, the sun is just never going to hit that north side of that row. And you're never going to get that, that north side of that row uh, dry because of that. So running them east-west gives you the opportunity to get the sun on the bale more readily than an east-west uh, facing row. So we want it on a slope. We want it on a south-facing slope if possible. We want to run the bales east to west. Um, the other thing is, uh, again, this also comes down to storage space. But ideally, you would like to leave uh, a space of three to four feet between each of the rows that you're making. And that allows air to, to circulate through the, the, uh, the, the bale rows. It also allows the sun to try to get down in to that lower quadrants of the bale and, and try to dry those out a little bit. Um, if you put the rows uh, budding tight against each other, um, it kind of forms like what I say is a gutter. So the water sheds off the left-hand bale, the water sheds off the right-hand bale, and that gutters right down into the, into the spot where the two bales are touching each other. And uh, what we've seen over time is that especially where the two bales touch each other there's a lot of water there in that bale that never can dry out and then below those two spots what i say in, the, in those lower quadrants of the bale uh, again the sun's never getting in there the wind's never getting in there and those tend to be quite wet and spoil as well so i understand the reason why you put those bale rows very tight to each other because it takes more space to leave us you know a, a three to four foot gap between there but unfortunately it tends to you know, uh, cause kind of more of a problem of, of water getting into those bales and not getting out. You know, when it really comes down to it, you want to get the water to shed off the bale. And when the water will go into the bale a little bit, you want to give some opportunity for the sun and the wind to dry the bale back out again if you can. And another thing we would want to talk about a little bit is um, when you're making the rows, is do you butt the bales up tight to each other or do you leave a gap uh, of a little bit between the bales or even a lot of bit between the bales? I mean, ideally, you could leave a space of three to four feet between the rows and uh, three to four feet between the bales uh, in the row, but that makes a, 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 you're taking a lot of land area for your bales when you do that. So, because if you have that bale just sitting out there free all the way around, the wind can blow, the sun can shine on it on all the faces and it's going to give you your best storage characteristics when you do that but i realize that's probably not realistic but now let's talk about leaving a gap of five to six inches between the bales in the row versus butting them up tight against each other this is one where i just don't know how what to recommend i see the pluses and minuses of doing both of those uh, what we see most of in the upper midwest here is that we butt them up tight to each other um, I like to bring the bale in at a little bit of an angle and then just push those bales together with the loader and kind of really push that bale up against the next one and butt it up tight. What's the advantage there? Well, especially in, a, in our climate where we have a lot of snow, 
we get snow packing into that bale in between those two bales if there's a gap in there and then that when that thaw comes that snow slowly melts and it just wicks right into the bales when you do that so butting them up tight you know eliminates that problem of the snow packing in between there but the problem is when you butt them up tight is that when water would get down between those two bales on a vertical surface well you don't have any opportunity for wind to um, come in there and, and dry that bale out so you know pluses and minuses i don't know what to tell you that is is the best way to do that our research has never really shown conclusively that one is better than the other but i would say you know it's personal preference there my personal preference is to butt them up tight because i have seen that snow pack problem really cause a lot of spoilage uh, in the spring with those bales so there you go um now this one other thing about rowing the bales is uh getting water drained away from the bales uh when it's shed off the, the bale itself what is the best practice there <clears throat> a sandy soil is good a well-drained soil is good you know there's lots of producers who think that they're going to do things like uh, telephone poles underneath the bale pallets is another one uh, my god that's one one thing i i really don't like is pallets several reasons for it is that water still tends to to, to hang around the bale and in, in the slats of the pallet when those pallets get really wet over time those are miserable to handle they're so heavy and then inevitably people drive over the doggone pallets you know they're going around they're they're moving bales around and they drive over it with the skid steer or the, or the loader tractor and now you got a broken pallet you got to deal with so i've stored bales on pallets and i don't know that's that's not for me to be honest with you what i really do like is putting the bales on a rock pad um, and what i'm talking about here is not gravel limestone gravel is actually not very good I wouldn't want to actually use that, uh, not only from the standpoint of it doesn't really drain water very well away, but um, that limestone gravel then tends to stick in the bottom of the bale. And if you're going to go and tub grind them or something like that, you got little rocks stuck to the bottom of the bale. Uh, not, not a big fan of that. Um, but what I'm not talking about here is, is what, um, what we call river rock. It's about a one to two inch diameter uh, rock uh, laid down in a strip. And uh, that really, really works well for letting a water drain away from the bale. Uh, it's amazing how good a, a quality that bottom of the bale is compared to bale that's stored on soil. Uh, the negative of river rock um, is that the ideal way to make your, your, your roll with river rock is to do a slight bit of excavation, lay down some treated lumber on the sides of that trench if you will and then put the river rock between there and then you have almost a permanent way uh, that those rows will stay together uh, that's not the way i've done it in the past i've just you know had the contractor come in and and lay down a strip and over time unfortunately the rock this tends to push out to the left and to the right and it gets wider and wider and wider and thinner and thinner and thinner so it it's not the best way to do it but it's not um such a big problem uh, I, I did have a, a follow-up question. So ideally, we're leaving that space between bales, Dr. Shinners, um, even if it's just a row between our, our columns as we're making them. Do we need to have any management? Is it, do we put our bales down, we just leave them, or do we need to be 
um, you know, taking care of that space in between them in some way, keeping it clear and, and clean, does that help? You know, ideally you come in there with your zero turn mower and you, and you trim the vegetation away. Because again, that allows more air to flow through the rows if you do that. I would say that's the ideal. That is not something that I've seen very often being done. So, so if you've got a, a kid and you need some some labor hours out of them, maybe that'd be a good job. <laughs> um, let's just talk one other thing I forgot to mention about this is that we you definitely don't want to be putting bales along fence rows where there's trees growing because there you're going to shade the bales and you're not getting sun on them. You don't want to put them up, you know, right up against the barn or the shed again, where that's going to get shaded. you got to keep these bales out in the open where the sun can get at them and dry them out. That's really important. So, um, so ideally we're, we're trying to do our best to get as much sun on those bales, get them as much um, open air circulation around them as possible. And then, if they do get wet, if we do have moisture, get that as away as quickly as possible, whether that's draining out through, you know, a, a rock pad or putting them on a slope in a way that it's going to drain off as quick as possible. Exactly. That's what we want to do. Dr. Shinners, have we missed anything on round bale storage that you would like to touch on that growers should know about? I think we've covered the high points there, Sarah. I think, uh, you know, at round bale storage, uh, it's, you drive around the countryside and it, there's, a, you know, a hundred different ways that you'll see how it's done. Um, and each producer is going to have to choose what's best for them and for their storage space and the type of bales that they have, et cetera. So it's not one, this is the right way for them to do it. But I guess one of the things you, you want to just try to mention is there's always consequences to these decisions that are made. You know, you store them in a, in a pyramid stack. I understand the space efficiency, but there is a consequence of higher losses. Um, if you put the bales tight, the rows tightly together, again, that's just storage space issue, but there's going to be a consequence that the, there's going to be more spoilage on the bottom portion of that bale. So. Well, we thank you for taking the time to join us today. This has been a great conversation, and there's a lot of growers that can benefit just from getting some reminders or hearing some new things. Sometimes what I find is that storage of forages especially is just kind of something that falls to the wayside in the busyness of an operation. And this is just some great tips and reminders for people to make sure that all the work they put into the feed they're putting up and the crops they're putting up you know, is worth it and that we can make sure that there is ample high quality feed at the end of the day after putting all that work into trying to create it. So we thank you for your time, Dr. Shinners. I would maybe make a plug, Sarah, for your uh, extension publication uh, based on the uh, work that we did back in 2019 or 2020. There's lots of good visuals there that shows, uh, you know, what happens to the bales in terms of moisture content under various storage scenarios. So it's a, it's a good visual. If you'd like to contact Dr. Shinners or other uh, extension specialists from University of Wisconsin Team Forage, you can do so by going to fyi.extension.wisc.edu slash forage. And you can search for any research or publications Dr. Shinners has created over the years, focusing on this topic and many others. 
If you're interested in information on the publication we discussed from the 2019 study in South Dakota, as well as several graphics that went along with it, you can visit extension.sdstate.edu and search round bale storage conservation or search myself, Sarah Bowder, and we can get that information to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Shinners. We really appreciate the time and look forward to hopefully talking with you again someday. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Shinners, and thank you all for joining us today for the Forage Connection.